The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. Today, we are discussing the money and career moves of a former pro hockey player gone media monster from a fourth line fighter and grinder to co-hosting, spitting chiclets with Barstool Sports and doing media work with Arizona Coyotes, Paul Bissonette, aka Biz Nasty. Paul, thank you so much for being here. Actually, I got to ask you, is it Paul or Biz? What do you prefer? You call me whatever you want, but I'll say this. That's quite the intro playing guilty this morning. I know you're a little bit hungover, probably got into <laughs> Caitlin's wine last night, but uh, I can't even do them when I'm sober. So bravo, buddy. Uh, I mean, I read it line for line, but yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a pretty. I was actually so hungover this morning. We had a, a Zoom happy birthday. That's like the world we live in. My buddies, we haven't seen them in a while. It was 15 of us just got absolutely reckless. So it's so bad that, there, and there's no Advil in this house. Zoom boozing, eh? Let's go. <laughs> Zoom boozing. So, I mean, I think last time actually we were hanging out was in Phoenix at Caitlin's show. We were completely lit, dancing to All I Want for Christmas. I think you were trying to convince Vinos to start coming after me. And Caitlin's like, what are you doing, Paul? You're sending the girls that are here to watch me to go after Jason. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, we were playing a little game on stage. And yeah, things can turn quick for sure. You don't want to, you don't want to get on Caitlin's fans' bad side. <laughs> I'll say it's like a little, like, it's not a little. It's like a mafia. Like, I screw up one way. I'll have, like, a whole lot of chicks coming after me. It would not be good. The scrunchy <laughs> squad. How many different names do they have? Oh, dude. Dude, the Vinos, the Scrunchy Squad, the Spade and Sparrow Club. I don't know. They got so much shit going on. It's it's awesome. But it's, it's like watching watch. like gangs in New York, but they're all her gangs. <laughs> exactly. Meet at the town square. They're reckless too. And the thing is, is, they party their ass off, right? I mean, they party hard. They'll come at you. It's wild. Love but it. Paul, for you, you're fully focused in the OHL. You're even on the U18 Canadian team that wins the gold medal. I mean, at what point does kind of some of the partying and things come into fruition? Your laser focus, is that after you're drafted or at what point do you know you start to live a little bit in that world? I would say that one of my biggest issues was, yeah, all of a sudden coming upon money and, and more freedom, obviously, because you're not living with a billet family. Now you're out on your own in the pro world. Yeah, then I, I started drinking and partying way too much. That that was, uh, fortunately for me, I came from a solid household where I wasn't being a complete idiot with my money. Like I did buy a truck when I signed, that was a treat to myself, but my next massive purchase was a home in, in Welland, Ontario. So it wasn't like, you know, I was just spending it like a complete donkey. Now, going back to your comment about, comment about school and the debt, I have a pretty strong opinion on all that. I think, I, I would say in Scandinavia, they have it at least or Europe mostly have it a little bit more figured out where they seem to, after high school, kids are more likely to go take at least a year off and travel, maybe even two years for that delay to maybe go just see the world. So you're not racking up student loan. Sure. And you're, you're also figuring out what it is you want to do. I, I talked to so many people that, that I went to high school with and, and that I'm buddies with, and they ended up going to school for something and they're not even using that education to what they do now. And some of which are doing jobs that will, they, I, I don't even know if they'll ever be able to erase their student debt. It's crazy. It's, 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 it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So the, the fact that people have more access to knowledge and there are more opportunities for jobs, not having to go through the traditional routes, I think it is very naive if you're not fully set on what you want to go do in your life to, to decide right after, right after high school. 
It's a lot of pressure on these kids. A lot of pressure. I mean, I started off at 18. I don't know what the hell. The only thing I know is what's in front of me. I was like, I don't know. Maybe I'll be a teacher. I was studying at a private school. I ended up leaving, going to a public school. I'm studying fucking history. Like I, I had no interest in history. Why am I studying history and spending 50 grand a year to do it? And the crazy thing about the whole student debt thing is that you want to go get a mortgage today, right? So let's say you want to go get a $300,000 mortgage. The whole, I mean, they cut you open. I want three years tax returns. Which way did you walk when you were 16? Who have you never paid? I mean, they go through everything. You want to get 300K loan for, for, for student loans, just sign here, press hard. Good luck. Pay it back. It's fucking crazy. One thing you talked about though, Paul, was uh, the fact you're good with your money. You got your first contract. What was that first contract like when you, when you signed in, in the pros? I know you're drafted by Pittsburgh. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. And I, then I'm curious about some of the spending habits you may have seen from other people in the show when you're, when you're starting to get in those locker rooms. So um, it, it kind of sucked because the year that I ended up signing was a year after the lockout. Oh. And they, yeah, what they'd done is they they chopped the bonuses down. So Alexander Degg was was the guy who'd set the standard in the NHL where it got a little bit wacky and silly with the signing bonus, sim- similar to what it is in uh, in football, yeah. I would say. Football's even toned it de- back a little bit, I believe, as well. But, uh, I, you know, as a fourth-round draft pick, I was probably looking at about like a $300,000 signing bonus. But because of the lockout, everything had been pushed down. I ended up signing for 175 grand where I had a three-year entry-level contract where each of those years I would make a minimum salary of $55,000 in the American League. So so that so that 175 grand would be spread over the three years. Okay. Distribution-wise, where on July 1st, I would see a a check. And then of course each year. So I was making 110 grand each year, USD. Wow. And then well, that's not even factoring. Aren't there league escrows and probably agent fees and stuff like that that have to come out? Yeah. So 3% agent fee. And if you, if they handle your books where they're filing your taxes and and making sure everything is being handled properly, I believe that was an extra percent, potentially maybe two. So I think I was paying 5% total on somebody to help me manage my money, make sure my credit cards were paid, any thing I needed outside of that, just because, you know, I, I'm, I'm young and, and still coming into that world. But uh, yeah, like what you kind of realize is, is, is although with no student loan and the fact that I have a clean slate going into my professional career, I'm 19 years old for the next three years, making 110 USD, which at the time, I, think, I believe the exchange rate was about 35 to 40 cents as well. And I was sure. spending most of my time in Canada. So I was, I was very, very grateful and, and happy at the time to be getting that type of money. I mean, that's great that they have business managers in place like that, though, to manage your credit card debt and your spending. Because at 19 years old, I mean, I was buying, I was going to like the libation on Tuesdays for quarter beers, trying to stack them to the ceiling. And then you're making 110 USD, which to your point is about 150 when you do the conversion. It's a good thing those are in place. Do when you were looking at some of your peers, did they have similar managers doing that, or did you see people make some crazy financial decisions when they when they got those checks early at a young age? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you definitely saw guys who were spending it a little bit more frivolously. Is that a mm-hmm. word? That's oh, a word. You nailed it. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. Brain not, glitch there. Not bad for a Saturday um, morning. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was fortunate where my agent, I was with Newport sports and they, everybody kind of just followed what they were doing and they 
they kind of set up this safety blanket to where, yeah, I had a, a maximum on my credit card that they established for us because they had a strong working relationship with one of the banks. And, but yeah, I, I would definitely see other guys suspended a lot more crazy, but some of these guys also had signed for more money, you know, instead of buying maybe the pickup truck, they were going for the Escalade. Mm-hmm. And I also think that back then there was this, uh, it was, you know, as soon as you signed your deal, everyone seemed to want to go treat themselves with a nice vehicle. That sure. just kind of was the, the what everybody did. And I, I would say that probably a strong number of guys still do that. That seems fair. I mean, to treat yourself, you did it. So one thing I hate, though, is when you look at, like, if you're doing research on players and stuff like that, and you're trying to figure out what they make, it's it's practically impossible. And even in more yet, the thing that kills me is like, you're like, oh, I wonder what someone's net worth is. And you saw them on TV and you Google it or whatever. It's always fucking wrong. And that information is never, ever accurate. But I, I did a little work on capfriendly.com. It said that your estimate career earnings over your whole NHL career was around three and a half million. Would you say that's accurate over or under? I would, yeah, I would say, including my 12 years pro, I was, I'm probably around 4 million because of my American League salaries as well. So yeah, let's, let's say, let's say three and a half to be ultra conservative. And so was there, so you started, you, you broke down your first contract. Was there like a huge spike in your earnings at one point that some, like your performance and things were picking up and how directly correlated would you say is like the, your performance and everything you're doing with the actual amount you're paid in the renegotiations of these contracts. Okay, so I, I finished that three three year entry level contract, and I ended up signing a two year extension with Pittsburgh because they own your rights for at least seven years. Oh shit, I didn't know. Yeah, that. so you so so you're a restricted free agent. So they you know they they sent an offer. I ended up signing where I, I was going to get sixty five grand in the American League minimum for the next two years. So I wasn't getting my sinus signing bonus anymore, but Hey, 65 USD, what, you know, what else am I going to do at that age? I was fortunate enough for that next year. I started the year in the NHL. I was up for 26 games. I played 15. When you're up in the NHL, you're on NHL pay. doesn't matter whether you're in or out of the lineup. So your contract uh, changes right then for the minimum. Yeah. So what, what you're getting is you're getting a 65 salary for the American league. And then yeah. I have a league minimum essentially salary for the NHL. It might've been up, dumped up an extra 50 grand. So I was making $550,000 on a 181 day schedule. So divide that by the days and however many days you're in the NHL, those are your, uh, end up being your paycheck. So I went from in the American league, probably seeing, I don't know, 2,700, three grand USD every couple of weeks to going up and seeing 20 grand every, so that, every, I mean, so when we're, if you're watching a game and you see, and they're talking about someone come up from the AHL and they don't even see the ice for one minute, that financially is huge for them because they're getting the minimum salary requirement. That's, that's kind of life changing. If you can ride it out for a little bit. That pretty much sums up my career. The fact that I was able, <laughs> no, as, as silly as it is. And people yeah. are always, you know, like I, I was a healthy scratch more games in the NHL than I actually played. But fortunately, I found myself where fighting was still somewhat relevant. Yeah. Um, I was I was able to develop my skills to where I wasn't a complete liability on the ice. So I was mostly in and out of the lineup. Ah, you know what? They got a fighter tonight. Uh, you know, we'll play him. You know, three four minutes. He'll add that intimidation, quote unquote. I don't think many fucking people were scared of me, to be honest. <laughs> and but because I was able to sign and remember this, when I ended up getting those five years. Mm-hmm for most of them, I was on a one-way contract. 
So which means like someone listening, like what the hell does that mean? What does that mean? So the biggest deal in hockey was to get a one-way contract because I mentioned when I was restricted, how I was signing those two ways where I would have an AHL base and then there's that NHL salary. Well, when I signed, finally made it to the, I got picked up by waivers by Phoenix. I played that first year in Phoenix on a two-way. So they could have sent me down and, and, but the, that during that season, I ended up signing a two-year one-way extension. So even if I had been sent down to the minors, I would still be getting my NHL pay. That was oh, huge. So, huge. so yeah. So I signed a deal where I was making, uh, I believe, six twenty-five, six twenty-five. So I was going to make in the next two years one point two, one point two five million. And you know, for from a kid who a couple of years before had signed where I was making sixty-five grand to hop to that ten X. And, and, you know, I, I'm a fairly conservative guy. Like that was essentially going to pay for my family's home when I, when I ended up settling it all, all down. Right. So it was, uh, yeah, that was a, a big jump. And then fortunately, again, I was able to sign another two year one way extension. And that was at seven, seven twenty five, seven fifty. And huge. Yeah. Though, and those were my big contracts. And, you know, a lot of people listening are, you know, it doesn't compare to the, to the NFL quarterbacks sure. or the first liners. But for, for a kid who, who at a certain point didn't see myself getting to the NHL, there seemed like a pretty big roadblock there. I was able to get my five years in. I got a bit of like a pension uh, to a mm-hmm. certain degree, mm-hmm. which is, a, is a, a story for another day. But uh, yeah, it worked out well, Jason. Uh, one thing I got to ask you, though, before we transition to what your next career was, if someone, a professional hockey player, they get hurt like that and you do have like a one-way contract in place, are you still getting paid? Yes. Okay, so you'll get paid throughout the, the the whole completion of the contract. So one thing that's great about the NHL is contracts are guaranteed. What can happen is if you get bought out, yeah. they have to pay you two-thirds of your contract. Okay. But I also believe, and you mentioned it earlier about escrow. Escrow is something that's been in place by the NHL in order to like help the league. So let's say the, the Canadian dollar exchange isn't great or something like COVID happens where they're not getting gate the hockey-related revenue, it some of it ends up having to be paid back by the players. And at one point in my NHL career, we were paying about 20%. Holy shit. Yeah. So you're looking at it from a tax standpoint. Let's say you're playing in Toronto or Montreal. You're paying 50% tax in that tax bracket, most guys. Yeah. Uh, on top of that, tack on another 18% escrow, then another at least 3% for your agent, and then plus living wherever you got to go. And listen, if you're making 2 million bucks, I don't think anybody who's listening is going to be feeling sorry for somebody who's taken home maybe 800 grand of it, but it does put things more in a perspective of how little you're actually making in the grand scheme of, of how much it all is. Yeah. And when you break those numbers down, that's 29% of the gross number you actually hear, right? That's the number that hits the headlines. That's the number that people think you're making. And only 29% of it comes home. That changes things, especially when you already talked about your longevity, your career is maybe two, three years. So that's wild. But for you, Paul, when you, when you hang them up, you have your last shift, you're skating like Bambi out there. It's over. You're done. You get your fight in. What are you thinking is next? Because it's unbefuckingly the way that you transitioned your career into now what I would say the probably the most relevant uh, currently as far as the most influential person in hockey uh, is now you. So when you get out of your career, you hang them up, you're done. What's going through your head? What do you think is going to be next? 
Uh, well, first of all, thanks. Like I, I, I wouldn't put it in that way. I just, I think fear is, is one aspect that has led me to, to doing what, what I've done and, and, and not in a bad way either. After I finished my NHL career, which I mentioned that five years I was able to play in Phoenix, I couldn't get a contract that next summer. And I'll, I'll save the, the whole breakdown of it. I ended up finishing that year in the American League when we won the Calder Cup. But the beginning of that year, I had no money coming in. I had the feeling that nobody wanted me as a player. And I was left on my own. It was like, you know, it's like, holy shit, life comes at you fast, right? This, this oh, yeah. career that I've known my entire life, it's the only thing I've ever done. It's now in the control of other people, whether they want to sign me or not. And, and, and I'm vulnerable. And that experience in itself, I was fortunate enough where I was able to play three more years after that had happened, the Calder Cup year, and then two more years with the Kings organization. But that was a massive wake-up call as to, hey, this is going to be ugly at one point if you don't figure out what it is you want to do. And because social media had taken on a mind of its own, especially on Twitter, media was definitely something that I was considering and I wanted to get into because it was something that I was comfortable enough being in front of the camera. So I, I... I'll never forget when I retired that first summer was when I did this film project called Biz Does BC. It was really silly. It was goofy, but it was more like I needed to, to start moving and figuring it out where whatever I wanted to do would take me. And I think it showed a lot of people that I was able to maybe push content and, okay. and be comfortable in front of the camera. And then I also got a job working for the Coyotes in radio and also doing pre post game and intermission reports for the television and was getting my reps in that regard. I hadn't even joined the podcast yet spitting mm -hmm. chiclets. So it, it was, it was just a sense of when it all ended. I'm like, I need to, I need to hop into something because I, I got to occupy my mind and I don't want to be one of those people that are relying upon other people in order to keep my life going. And it just, like, like I said, it was, it was somewhat, if not all fear-based based on my experience three years prior. I think that's usually like when people can actually find what it is, like people lost out there looking for their career. When you do have your, your fear against you, some people push fear away for so long so that they don't have to face it. But once fear is looking at you dead in the eyes, you really have no option but to do something. And that's when you do shit, like put out your series on YouTube and inevitably it moves to something else. The question I have for you that I feel like in some capacity in a weird fucking way relates to my world is I go on the reality show after the reality show, I go right back to corporate banker. So here's a guy that's making out with a girl nonstop on TV, doing all this shit that's airing while I'm in a suit and tie, stiff banker talking to CFOs about how we're going to you know, increase their working line of capital. Two totally fucked up different worlds. How do you go from working in the professional corporate culture like the Arizona Coyotes and then still be able to manage this, I don't know, open book, boisterous, I don't give a shit. I'm putting any thought and every thought from like sex and swearing to all that stuff on Twitter. Like how did, did those worlds ever collide or did you ever strategically think like, man, I got to give up one for the other, which I ended up having to do? Yeah. So early on, it was just, a, it, online was also a different world. Like the shit I was saying on Twitter and even on the podcast when I started, I mean, there was some pushback. Yeah, there was sometimes I got called into the Coyote's GM office for him to be like, yo, what is like, what is this tweet? Like, this is fucking ridiculous. And then I'm like, okay, you know, pee pee whack. And then you're, and then you're out of there. And, and, you know, eventually you try to try to figure it out and carve out this road. Fortunately for me, 
when I actually went to the LA Kings organization, one of their rules was, is they just said, Hey, stay off Twitter. Like, don't, don't be doing like you were doing before with the coyotes. We we're not really about that here. And it was good. Cause I got to take a step away and, and kind of, you know, think about some things. So, and also I'm just, the line has changed overall in the world too. So I don't really go some places where I would have originally gone, sure. but as far as, is the, the, you know, that corporate world is I've never really fit in, in that world. And it's always been like, I've, I've, I've expressed myself to the coyotes, especially now, like, Hey, I, I get that there's some things I can't say, but ultimately my heart lies with me being myself and me being opinionated and me being who I am. So if, if I can go over there, do it and even monetize it more, and I'm having a blast and I get to have more control of what I'm putting out as opposed to here, well, that's where I'm going to go. If you're okay with me having this corporate side and, and talking a certain way on your broadcast, but also then transitioning to a podcast where, you know, you have to click, this is not being forced down anybody's throats. This is a, this is a different type of platform and everybody has, it's, it's worked. I've, I've been able to flirt this fine line. I mentioned getting in trouble along the way in some regard, but I think that ultimately people know that I'm not like mean spirited. Sure. I'm just some clown who, who's trying to figure it out <laughs> along the way. And, and I've definitely crossed the line at some points. Yeah. But I think crossing the line is something we're starting to see, especially in this whole like corporate structure, because they see that guys like you that are real and authentic and are opinionated and maybe aren't playing by the same rule book that they had 10 years ago is still driving ratings. It's creating fandom, yes. it's having people tune in. And at the end of the day, what do they care about? They care about ratings and money. So if you can screw, if you can continue to work that fine line, and in my opinion, slowly break this foundation that corporate America has put in place for us, I see it. I see it as a win-win. Yeah. It's cool and, that you're able to do that. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I kind of, I, I spent a lot of time online observing, right? Cause you're trying to figure out, and, and I'm, and I'm working for Barstool Sports who seems to have, uh, you know, uh, at least like they have the mentality of where, you know, like we're, we're fucking around. It ain't that serious. Like, you know, let's, 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 ha let's throw jokes out there. We're not going to be as politically correct as everybody else. And, you know, that that's of course, in today's age, going to come with judgment, but you also look at these other companies and it's like those, the amount of people bitching online is such a small portion. And I feel like a lot of these companies are maybe altering to the people who are yelling the loudest but in, in the general landscape, that's not how most people think. Would you agree with that? So it's like they're eating themselves alive trying to please the small minority who might not even be spending the fucking money and aren't even a majority of their consumer. Uh -huh. And it's like, it's like, so they're being lost based on the, the feedback that they're trying to take rather than just maybe being themselves and being a little bit more genuine to where, how a lot of people just genuinely talk and act. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Here's my take on it is that I think there is this small group of people that are kind of like the loudmouths, right? And they have social media now that they can get their opinion out there. But I do believe that majority of people that are working for these big corporations aren't satisfied with their work. They're not happy with the way they're treated. They're not happy with their bosses. I just don't feel like there's a huge job satisfaction rate out there. And we're seeing it. Like Microsoft just released all this stuff about the fact that 54% of their employees are unhappy and trying to leave. Bingo. That's Microsoft, dude. That's a bit. You work for Microsoft is huge, right? So I think there's going to be like a revolution in the next 10 to 15 years of how companies operate. And I do think that Barstool is kind of like one of the catalyst drivers. Like, why does it really matter the way you talk? or the tone you speak in or what you wear, if your output 
is productive for the overall mission of the company, right? Oh, I, I, could, I couldn't agree more. And, and if anything, it's to the extreme where, you know, a, a, an employee could probably go on Twitter and tell, the, you know, Portnoy, the guy who founded it, to fuck off. And they're going to get on a, in a Twitter war and nobody's getting fired over it. It's just yeah. like, it's, just, it's, it's like, it's like the wild, wild west. And even going to the, even like the more corporate side of it, you mentioned like a Microsoft. Or, I just feel like the internet is the wild, wild west right now. And people aren't really limited to having to go work for these these dinosaur companies that have been, and that's, that's a bit naive calling, like saying it to Microsoft, but I'm saying in general of the way that they want to do things where it's like, go do your own thing, go yeah. create, you know, the, the look about all the learning mechanisms online too. I mean, we kind of dev- talked about the, the, the schooling situation where it's like most people could learn how to run a business online by watching YouTube videos and maybe taking a couple master classes and by just going into it and trying it themselves and learning by, by, by error. And doing, I mean, think about like with spit and chiclets, what you guys do, right? You got three microphones and a few guys sitting around, bring a couple guests on, shoot the shit, your number one podcast in, in all of the, like anything related to hockey. And one of the best podcasts at Barstool Sports and you got three guys just being honest and talking about life, talking about hockey and a few microphones and the ability to monetize that now. I mean, obviously, you know, the money behind podcasting for those that are successful with it. It's, it's, it's absolutely, it's crazy. It's the, the wild, wild less is the best way to put it. We did an episode actually with two CEOs of, of the biggest and largest influencing companies in the United States. And they start to talk about brand deals and the dollar amounts and where they're being placed. And you know, the, the kid that's opening the, the, the fucking presence online on YouTube, oh making goodness. 25 million, like it's in the world in like their eyes, you know, they're studying every day, what the future outlook of this. And they're like, listen, the platform might change, might be podcasting. It might not be this TikTok. It might be this, but this social media influencing world and being able to, to place advertising spend is going nowhere in every single day. It's growing astronomically. Yeah. yeah and these Good. companies are allocating more dollars towards digital marketing and influencer marketing. And, 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 you know, it's just, it's, it's where the younger people are. So if, if you want to advertise, it's like, that's where the, the eyeballs are. I mean, exactly. Instagram, I haven't, I haven't gotten into TikTok. I just, I don't, I got enough going on where I think it would just yeah. distract me. Do, are you a TikToker? No, I mean, I have a TikTok. I have like a hundred thousand followers, but I, I can't, I, I don't do the dance shit. I just repost shit. I put on Instagram on TikTok. Yeah. And then you find out what the, what the big TikTokers are making and oh, it just, it's just fucking it's, crazy. It's, it's wild. So it's, uh, it's, it's been a, a crazy world to observe from a distance. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been fun to be a part of too. Yeah. So one thing I can't let you go without telling me about is what you were, I think the last edition to Barstool Spit and Chicklets podcast. And so, and correct me if I was wrong there, but that's what I, I was reading. What was that process like? Like when Portnoy called, like what is an interview with Dave Portnoy? Like what's the recruiting process? They put a good package together. What's it like to be picked up and wanted to be uh, on the team of Barstool Sports? It, it, it happened very organically, like most things with that company happen. So originally, Ryan Whitney had sent a tweet out to myself and Colby Armstrong, another guy we play with in the American League, to start this podcast. There wasn't a name for it at the time. I didn't even know what podcasts were. It was a tweet, and I was still playing in, in Ontario. And I, uh, Ontario, California, with the LA Kings organization. And I, I said to him, I said, hey, I'm still playing maybe when I'm done. And Rear Admiral, who was a blogger and had been working part-time for Barstool at the time, who followed the Bruins, 
he reached out to Wit, said, oh, podcast, like I'd be interesting. And he had his own mixer. So he reached out to Wit. Wit agreed to do it. He would drive over once a week to his house. They would record on the couch, just them two. And, uh, and you know, they released probably 15 episodes. Then I believe Portnoy reached out to Wit and said, hey, would you guys want to come on with Barstool? They ended up joining Barstool. And now they started releasing those podcasts through the Barstool sports platform. At this time, I don't even know if they had their first office in NYC yet. Like they were still maybe based out of, out of Boston, but it was during that time where they were transitioning and starting to grow as a company. Mm-hmm. So Grinelli, who was a producer at a radio station, had his own mixer and he thought he lived from listening. I can make it sound a little bit better. I can produce the thing. It'll relieve a little bit of pressure from RA. Why don't I shoot my shot? So he wrote rear ad or an email rear read it, didn't reply to it just kept moving on. Sure enough, that next podcast, the next week, they're recording an RA's mixer breaks. Oh shit. So they don't put out that podcast. RA remembers the email that he got from Grinelli. He goes back in, he says, Hey, my mixer broke. What about you showing up here next week at my place? You can record it. You can edit it. And that is how that happened. Then they drop another probably 50, 75 episodes, I'd come on as a guest twice and I would go on there and I would let it fly. And I slowly started, started talking to Whitby and he was like, man, like, why don't you join us? Like you fucking let it fly. Like I'm getting, you know, I'm getting married and it kind of adds like a different element. He talked to rear ad and I had that project that I'd done that previous summer. So fast forward a, a year and a half, two years now. So we packaged it. I said, Hey, why don't we release this biz does BC series with these 15 NHLers I'll announce that I'm coming on with the podcast. We'll add another guy to the group. We'll bring in the Canadian audience. And at that time, when, when I joined them, I think they were averaging about 30 to 50,000 downloads per podcast. And then within a year to, to two years, it was, you know, it's, it's at half a million. I would say we'd get no less than half a million listeners now. And now with the fact that we've grown our YouTube channel, we're probably in the 550 range, maybe 600 downloads per podcast. And it just kind of naturally took on this crazy mind of its own where we just, you know, three, four guys meet up and we shoot some shit and we were able to grow the vodka, the sandbagger golf rounds and, and whatever else comes our way. That if for anyone listening, I just want to put that in perspective. 500,000 downloads is massive. I mean, we'll cover the recap, talk a little bit more about it um, with David and I, but that's huge. How many episodes are you guys putting out a week? So, you know, we, we kind of went back to, to learning as you go and, you know, yeah. you can learn so much online and from actually doing, as opposed to, you know, having to pay someone to learn it. Sure. It's like, just dive in. And as things started accelerating, we started doing two episodes per week and, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be that up to speed, but it also, we kind of, it was too much. It was becoming too sure. much like work and we were showing up and so, especially during the pandemic, there weren't many things to talk about because yeah. the world is slowed down. So we, we went from two episodes down to one. And what we do is we typically interview one or two guests. And then we talk about the current events that happened in that week in the NHL. And then we talk about other, other stories that might have happened in the world that have been gaining a lot of attention. And, and we're happy. We've also grown our, uh, the gaming aspect. We did like a gaming tournament for, oh, cool. for all the NHL guys that currently play EA and uh, yeah, it just, uh, 
we've, we've shifted our focus many a times and grown in different areas throughout this entire process. And a lot of the time, it's just listening to your fans. Mm-hmm. What do majority of the people enjoy trying to siphon online through what's good and what's bad? It's hard because when you're going there, you are seeing some of the negativity, but ultimately, if you want to know what your consumer wants, you got you to gotta listen to them. I mean, I know there's so many takeaways just from that. One, you got to listen to your fans. Two, you talk about how it's so funny how the video content stuff you did. What is it called? The BC Biz Nasty? What was that? Yeah, Biz Nasty does BC. Biz, yeah, yeah, Biz Nasty does BC. It's wild how I think for anyone listening, like take a fucking shot. That came to actually fruition and was part of your plan as you guys build this podcast. And another one I just take away as a learning lesson is just like adjust, like execute and adjust. Like you guys put out two, it wasn't working. You adjust for what makes sense. One thing that really resonated with me was the listening to your fans. And so I got to interview the fat Jewish and that's what the exact same thing he said. He goes, I don't, you know, when I was coming up with products and doing things, I just listened to my fans. He goes, I don't drink. I don't even, I don't even enjoy Rose. My fans wanted canned Rose. We put it on the market. And it was the biggest acquisition Anheuser-Busch has ever made from a private label company. And he's sitting pretty. You guys kind of did the same thing, right? So the Pink Whitney, Bach, I see it behind you, New Amsterdam. It is all sparked by, I think, Ryan Whitney just making a comment about an ad. Like, if you don't drink you know, your vodka with pink lemonade, you're out of your damn mind. You put it out there. And, and the research I did two years later, you sold over 15 million bottles at over 100 million gross revenue. Tell me just a little bit about that project and, and how it came to fruition. Yeah, it was it was wild. New Amsterdam was getting more involved with the hockey world and they sponsored the NHL and they figured, hey, this is a, an up and coming hockey podcast. And it seems to be where like a majority of the attention is going for for the younger crowd. And it seems like what they want to listen to. So they became, they became our presenting sponsor. And I think that they signed a three-year presenting sponsorship deal. And one of the agreements was at, in the first episode, just, Hey, mention what you mix with your vodka. Yeah. And wit was a big pink lemonade and vodka guy on the golf course all summer long. And he, you know, he's a great storyteller. So when he talked about his drink, he, he dressed it up. And, and then at the end, he's like, I call it the pink Whitney. And it just had this ring to it where, you know, even I laughed. I'm like, okay, this guy like has his own name drink. Like, okay, this is kind of funny. So for the next couple of months, kept getting posts and, and Instagram tags and Twitter tags of Pink Whitney and, and this Pink Lemonade Vodka. And my business uh, manager and, and friend, Jeff Jacobson was like, hey, this is getting abnormal traction. Like a lot of people are, are tweeting about this. So he he filed for the domains and just said, Hey, why don't we try to get Barstool to do this? They were busy expanding at the time. And I, you know, I throw a million ideas at the wall and 10 might stick. And, you know, it's just, that's kind of how, you know, a lot of people who have a mind that continually races goes and wit wasn't really that on board at the beginning either. Cause he was like, ah, oh, we're a hockey podcast. Like, fuck, we're not. But his wife had mentioned it on the way to a Halloween party saying, Hey, all my friends keep mentioning this pink Whitney. Why don't you guys do this? And he's like, Biz said that. So they called me from the car and I said, yeah, we filed for the domains. I said, fucking rights that you're on board. I said, <laughs> I said, let's talk to Barstool about it. So we talked to Barstool. They said, okay, actually Gallo has been, you know, mentioning that they've seen, been seeing it pop up. So we finally got to the, the drawing board. We figured, hey, let's fucking do this. And it took on a mind of its own. And it, as you mentioned, 15 million bottles. So the Rock, the Rock had tweeted out at the fact that Terramana, 
it was the, one of the biggest alcohol launches in its first year in the history. I think it sold 300,000 cases mm -hmm. in its first year of existence. In our first year of existence, we sold 807,000 cases of Holy Pink Whitney shit. in one year. And, and, that, and for half the year, it wasn't even available in Canada. Which, that, where, which is a huge following for you. Oh, it's massive. And, and they were pissed because it didn't get there right away. And trust me, they let us know. And, you know, <laughs> finally, we were able to get a steady stream to, to, uh, to Canada. And specifically, Ontario was nuts. It, it would be our biggest state if, if it was in the United States. So it, it, is, uh, it has done really well. And it's been fun because it's, it's been allowed us to get funding and money to grow in other areas. Like I mentioned that I done that biz does BC project and I always joke around about it because I'm like, it's nothing earth shattering. And it's people might even watch and be like, this is corny and cheesy. But what it did was it taught me to understand editing and sitting down with and gaining trust with my friend Pasha. It allowed me to understand where I have to be and what I have to think about when I'm in front of the camera uh, just how the entire process works, maybe, you know, how much money it should cost, how many cameramen we might need in order to do something that is going to take a bit of a production, AKA the sandbaggers. Yep. yep. Cause now that has grown to where it's five cameramen, two sound guys. We need a couple guys there helping out where the position, the cameras, the shot tracers in order to create another product, which we now sell advertising for. And we roll out on our YouTube channel, which, Hopefully by the time each of them are all said and done, you get about three, 400,000 views on them. Mm -hmm. And it's entertainment that our fans genuinely joy, enjoy. So now the vodka can fund those ideas in order to grow. And then I don't know what's going to end up stemming from that. Right. So I mean, it's, there's it's like an all of, it's like a branch, it's like a tree, right? Where does, right. where's that thing going to bring you? Nowhere. Okay. Whatever. There's another fucking branch over there. <laughs> Find that next branch. And that goes back to exactly what you said about education, right? Like all those things that you just learned, you can't learn that shit in the classroom. You got to learn by doing it. And the other thing I, I don't want to overlook is those sales almost two, you know, two and a half times the rocks. Think guys, think about the rock. The guy has over 200 million people following him. Two times the amount of Americans that watch the Super Bowl are following this guy. And you guys come up with this pink lemonade idea. What the hell, Pink Whitney? Sure, let's do it. You sell it, and it's three acts of the rocks. Uh, last question before, and we're getting to wrap this up. And how we'll wrap it up is we'll do a, uh, we'll open the, we call it cracking open the vault with Paul Bissonette. I'll ask you five rapid fire questions, and then we end with a trading secret, a secret in your industry that anyone listening uh, probably wouldn't have be able to find on Google or learn in the textbook. So we'll wrap with that. But the last question I got to end you before we get into that is I hear these numbers and I'm fucking blown away. The YouTube numbers, the down, like those downloads guys, those are, that's the probably top 2% of all podcasts out there in the entire, and you know how many podcasts there are. It's incredible. When you structured any of these deals, do you have any type of equity personally or royalty, whether it's the podcast or it's Pink Whitney or uh, Sandbaggers or some of the stuff you guys are doing? Yeah. So when I first retired, my first promise to myself was, was that I was going to open up an LLC mm -hmm. and anybody I worked for, it was essentially going to be a partnership. I was never going to be locked into one. Like for instance, the coyotes gave me my first contract and I got employed by them. That was my first job before I'd even joined Barstool. 
So it, it was always going to be where I could kind of control my own fate. And yeah, fortunately with Barstool, they've been very, very fair as to what we can negotiate and, and where my time can get allocated. And, you know, it's, it, it, it didn't start as big as it was off the hop, but it, you know, it's slowly grown to where I'm happy with where all these, all these deals ha have led me. And, and I, I'm also not going to be naive to what our team and what Barstool has provided me and then and you know and vice versa and same goes for ra same goes for grinnell and same goes for for ryan whitney who are members of the podcast and yeah it's it, it's it's been fun and it's been steady growth so ultimately i'm just trying to set it up to where i can eventually be very comfortable but also have control and and can even at one point fund my own ideas to where I don't need any of the money from, from other places. So yeah. I know it wasn't a very direct answer about like exactly how I've structured all these deals, but yeah, it's, it, it's, um, it's been nice to not be just pinned down to one, one thing. Yeah. It sounds like either, you know, with the specifics, you've been strategic with it. So it certainly pays its dividends. Paul, I think the story is just incredible from grinding 13 years old on uh, in Welland, Ontario to OHL 12 years in the league to turning into like a media monster uh, and doing it super successfully. I think the cool thing, one of the reasons I mentioned being the, one of the most relevant guys in hockey is like, in our world, the bachelor world, a lot of our demographic following is females. And if you ask most of the people that uh, follow us or we talk to or are friendly with, they don't know one name when it comes to hockey, maybe Wayne Gretzky, but Paul, they do know you. So your story is awesome. Before we wrap with you, if you're cool with it, we got to open the vault, have like six, seven rapid fire questions, and then get a trading secret before we let you go. Okay. Awesome. All right, let's do it. All right, so we are opening the vault with the biz nasty rapid fire questions. First one, here we go. One reality show you would go on if you had to go on a reality show. I, I, if I can go back in time, probably Fear Factor. Fear Factor. What makes you say that? I, I didn't expect that because <laughs> I wouldn't want to go on one where, like, The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, because I feel like they have too much control over the video. Like that is, sure. they, they can, they can portray you in any way that they want to. And uh, I mean, Hey, thankfully for Caitlin, she's a rock star and and that's who she is. And, and she ended up, you know, she became America's darling, but in some <laughs> cases, you know, I feel like some girls are getting, or even guys are getting dragged through the mud when they go on there because they maybe, you know, weren't the, the best version of themselves when they go on there. So for me, it would be something where it's not entirely focused on just the, the characters more so the crazy shit that they're doing as far as a competition. That is so fair. You control it. You'll eat whatever you got to do. I would call Caitlin uh, America's darling, maybe Canadians rock star. And both of us were pretty fortunate with our edits on that show yeah. that we, we got out of there without getting dragged. Okay. So you, so you were on the bachelor. Yeah. Also I was on the bachelorette. So I was, so Caitlin was the bachelorette uh, two, three seasons before I went on. Okay. She gets engaged and then I go on the bachelorette and I end up finishing in third. So I got the bronze medal and I got, it was fun. I got, we were at the dinner before the fantasy suites. I get dumped at dinner. Oh, right at dinner. Uh, two and I, a half, I, two I, and I a never half realized months. that you were on the show too. I never knew that. Yeah. So that's, so I, I was a corporate banker. I go on the show. 
get off the show, go back to work. And then I, I'm working in Seattle at the time. Caitlin's got her podcast. She's running all over the country and she's in Seattle. And it was right when I, you know, they aired, I just got dumped and you know, what's next for Jason. So she had me come on her podcast and that's when we met and we were friends for a wow. little bit. And that's how we started dating. Cause I met her on the podcast. Okay. Let me, let me ask you this. Were you happy with the way that you were portrayed throughout the process of the show? So first of all, your, your, your statement's a hundred percent accurate about the editing. Like you never know what you're going to get. I was thrilled with the way I was portrayed. Fucking right. Uh, I got, I, I was very fortunate. I feel like I got very lucky that I was done right. One of the things they say to me, which I think is true from what I saw that whole season is if you're an asshole, it's really, really easy for us to make you look like, like a complete asshole. If you're a nice guy, it's pretty damn easy for us to make you look like a nice guy. It's going to take us a lot of work. It's been done before. It's going to take a lot of work to make a nice guy look like an asshole and an asshole look like a nice guy. And we have too much work to do. And that's something that resonated with me. And then when I saw the show, I'm like, yeah, that guy was a jerk. Oh, shit. They really dragged him. He was, you know, so that's, that's my take on the editing. Okay. F fair enough. And, and oh, yeah. so, so did you, uh, like during the process of the show, were you trying to keep that in mind the entire time? Or was that just you naturally where you didn't find yourself in these situations or were there even other guys trying to drag you into these messy situations? I was, I was always the guy like on the side, like there's like these funny videos of me sitting on the side, like in the couch, drinking my ass off, just like laughing my ass off. I mean, these guys are having like model walk-offs who can have a better model walk-off who wears the better jacket. You know, they're talking about like who they're wears better hair product. And it's they're not peacocking. Working. I'm laughing my ass off. So my whole thing was like, I'm not getting dragged into that. And if I get tried to get dragged into that, I'm just going to leave. I don't have to be here. This is a fun, cool experience for me. Like, fuck it. I'll just leave. And so the cool thing is, is that it just came off as who I was as a normal person, which actually worked out well. Big so, time. Yeah. So yeah. So your experience was awesome and probably a big reason why you you've had so much success past the show. Same, same with Caitlin, right? So that's awesome, man. I'm happy to hear that. Sorry. I didn't know you were on the show. I thought you were, I thought you were famous for other reasons. Oh, uh, you know what? I, uh, I totally get it. I am. I'm the shadow behind Caitlin Bristow. So most people don't know. Um, Not at all, man. You fuck go from being a, you said you were a wall street banker. Yeah. I was in the banking world now. And then a lot of, from the, lot, of lot of Coke in that world, isn't there? Oh, there's a lot of everything in that world. <laughs> of, I'm actually, dude, I just got a, a two book deal with Harper Collins and my first book, I get in the weeds about all the, my restart is what I call so, it. So are you, so you must be pretty smart as far as where you want to invest your money then. Yep. So I own a consulting company where we do, we bridge the gap of what the whole tagline is, uh, what we're not taught in schools, but what we have to know is personal financial management, career navigation, stuff like that. And then through that, we have podcasts, we have, you know, merch, we do, we have a networking group. We have uh, a bunch That's of stuff. That's awesome, man. Yeah, Congratulations cool. on all your success, buddy. That's wicked. Maybe you can give me a little advice. There what you am go. I doing with, what am I doing with Bitcoin? Buy it. <laughs> okay. All right. Buy it. Let's keep this going. We got two, I got a few more questions. I got to fire off and then we'll wrap it up. But if you could play anywhere in the NHL other than Arizona, where would you go? For one year? One year. I would probably, I would probably want to play in, uh, in Montreal. Montreal. Can I follow up and ask why? Well, it's, it's weird. If I'm, if I'm thinking my single days, it's, it's just an awesome, the, the, the culture is awesome you're treated like a complete rock star, the history there. Yeah. And it's every game is just, if you feel like you're at the Mecca of the hockey world and there, people would say, well, that's Toronto. It's a little less suits in the bottom. 
Gotcha. Like the, like the stadium's packed at the start of the period in Toronto, all the suits are probably doing key tokes underneath <laughs> in their private suites or whatever, wherever they are. Gotcha. But like Montreal, there's just something about coming out even for warm up in Montreal. And I think it would be cool to, to play one season there. And That's as fair. I mentioned, I got family there. So I think it would be cool. It's a hell of a city. I, I tell you what, rapid fire of every guest I have, we just go. But fear factor in Montreal, thrown off, had to ask. I like it. Good answers. All right. You were a fighter in the NHL. If you could step into the ring with one celebrity, who would it be? Um, I would probably want to step in with Charlemagne. All right. Charlemagne. There it is. I think There's... he's an arrogant fuck. <laughs> I think he's rude. I think he's rude to his guests. Charlemagne, there it is. We want let's make it happen. We'll do a non-for-profit and raise some money. Um, all right. So professional athlete in one other sport other than hockey, what would you pick? We're making the biz nasty thank you. We're getting in the weeds. I would uh easy answer would be golf. Uh yeah. F1 racing would be, if you consider that a sport, <laughs> I would love like Lewis Hamilton just buzzing around in Mercedes and Ferraris or whatever the whatever nice cars he drives. Cause I would imagine you get sick whips away from for free. And then I don't think you're, you're, you're not making a healthy salary either. Those guys are probably making 20, 30 million a year. Aren't they? I'm sure. I think with like sponsorship and the, the viewing uh, audience in that world is fucking crazy. It, like the fandom is, is insane. Um, all right. That's a good, you're, you have the best answers that anyone's ever come on this pod. All right. What's the biggest tab with just a few more and then we're going into your trading secret. Biggest tab you've ever stuck a rookie with at dinner. Oh, well we used to, so we have rookie parties in the NHL and you're maxed out at 5k per rookie. Now that was the rule. That was the rule on our team. Now I've heard Washington. I heard a story where Chris Bork, which is Ray Bork's kid had an unreal American hockey league career, played some games in the NHL, but uh, he was called up and he was only up for about two weeks. And he was the only rookie on the team that year. So they did rookie party when he was up. And I think he got stuck with a, I think a 25k bill for the rookie party yeah and and the funny part about it was he was only there for two weeks so he ended up losing money on his call up oh my god he he played for free essentially on on his two weeks in the nhl that time so i hope i hope it was a good memorable night for him because uh, that's that's a lot of coin to get stuck with that's a tough that's a half a bitcoin right there he maybe called dad and said help me out here but he's doing just well i think that's why people didn't feel sorry for him they're probably like i think he's going to be inheriting enough yeah so we can we can beat up his platinum card tonight (laughs) get a few fire miles on his card i love it speaking of platinum card i saw you drop that platinum ad all right let's keep it going two more I've seen uh, your, you, you got these fancy suits and I've seen like kind of your style game is, is kind of on point. What do you think the most expensive uh, jewelry or piece of clothing you own is? Uh, I got a, I, I like Rolex. I got a, I got a Submariner, which is kind of like your, you know, your, your beat up your, your everyday watch, wear it with jeans. You can wear it with a suit. The, the Wall Street watch right there. That's your banker watch. Yeah. Somebody, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Some people might be listening and being like, oh, fuck it. You're basic, basic bitch. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I would probably say one of my f- my favorite pieces is uh, that Ralph Lauren big winter jacket I bought, and I, I wore it when I shot the puck from center ice in Chicago. I, I like uh, I like the three quarter length jackets, yeah, the big poofy ones and stuff like that. I I honestly just wear jogging pants most days. Oh, really? Raining champ jogging pants. There you go. That's the answer right there. Rolex yeah, and I'm, raining jacks. 
I'm like uh, Tony Soprano in my later days. <laughs> there you go. Love that. The old you, tracksito, we call him. The Jacksito. Well, you've heard no, it. No, tr- tr- tracksito, like a, a tr- tracksuit. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. You can use that. All right. Tracksito. I'll take it. I'll take it. Last one. This is what I got to know. It's the million dollar question. You made more in hockey or you make more in media? Media. Yeah. I figured that one. Yeah. Um, I, I was a fourth liner in the show and, and I think I'm getting to, I'm at least second line now in, in the, in the media <laughs> world. So like, like I said, it's been an unreal ride. And for anybody listening, you said your demographic is more female than male. Yeah. It's about, yeah, it's like 95% female. Oh, okay. Well, I'll say this. It doesn't really matter who the, 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 the words are going to. I just felt like we we've, we've stressed it a lot. You're, you're going to probably land on your face at some point everybody has. And if you want to do anything remotely successful in life, you're going to, you're going to see so many closed doors, just keep trying to open them. And I think that that that's ultimately what's, what's led me to what I've done now. And I'm sure that there are people who are laughing at me when I started out doing what I was doing, Mm -hmm. right. They're looking from a distance. It's different. They're like, this is silly and stupid, but you know, if it brings you happiness and you're able to carve out your, your own journey and play by your own rules, it becomes a lot more fun as you start seeing the you know, the, the, the payback from it. It's a hell of a trading secret. It's a good way to wrap this. Uh, and you know what you said, the exact same words. We just had the owner of Doug, the pug, uh, come on a freaking dog that has over 18 million followers and a billion views. That's fun. New crazy. York time bestseller the list goes on the exact word she said for her trading secret was when I did this, people laughed at me and told me I'm out of my mind and look where we are today. So it's a hell of a one to take away. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for being here 10 minutes after uh, an hour. So you spent some extra time. You know, where can people find everything you have going on? The podcast, the products, let us know. Yeah, uh, just you could follow me on Twitter, biznasty 2.0 on Instagram, just biznasty. And uh, and then also spit and chicklets podcast. We got a an awesome crew. I'm very grateful for the the family I've met there. And of course, it's all through Barstool Sports and, and a company that I've really loved working for, and, and they've continued to make some awesome moves. Of course, everybody saw the Barstool Fund which they created for small businesses. So it's cool. It's been a great ride and, and, uh, and I hope it continues. It's awesome. And anyone that hasn't tried Pink Whitney, get on it. It's unbelievable. Paul, thank you so much for being here on another episode of Trading Secrets. We really appreciate your time. Buddy, thank you and, and keep going. And I'm looking forward for your, for your, to your trading advice. There we go. You're you my new financial advisor. You come to me, brother. I'll give it to you. <laughs> Ding, ding, ding. We are ringing in the closing bell with the one, the only, the curious Canadian. And I actually just got back from Canada recently. I was in Edmonton visiting Caitlin and her family. And I will tell you this, David, you got some fans out there. Someone came up to me and said, I'm a listener of the podcast. And right after that said, I love the curious Canadian. He's not here with you. I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to pass that message to him. But before I even get your reaction to that, we had your boy on Biz Nasty. I know how much it pained you, David, to not be on this podcast because you look up to him. You think he's hilarious. So I want to hear your take on everything hockey, everything contracts, the whole business. Before I do that, we had a challenge last week because we had uh, the slutty vegan on Pinky Cole and we said that we were going to go vegan for a full week. It's been a full week. David, talk to me. I have three questions on being a vegan. The first one is for you. Number one, you ready for it? Yes. What is the most outrageous meal that you either made or ate 
in substitute of what you would have otherwise eaten being a vegan. Okay. Okay. Lots on pack here. I think <laughs> to really hit this off, I don't think eating vegan, there's too many like outrageous things. All I can, that sticks in my head is I had a vegan, uh, an impossible burger and I went all out and got the vegan bun. I'm staring at this vegan bun, probably the most unappetizing thing that I've ever seen in my career. It looked like dog food, uh, but it actually tasted pretty good. So I don't really have an outrageous meal. I just had this bun sticking in my head, staring at my face when I think vegan. Wait, what about now, you? For Now I'm kind of rattled. Like I'm confused because I didn't think that buns or bread would not be vegan. Yeah. So I went full on like the Wait, so bread. What is, what is vegan about a carb? No, it's not a carb. It's just bread. I think it's like the ingredients. I don't know if it's like eggs or flour. I, I, to be honest, okay. I don't know. So maybe but I didn't like, go full vegan. I'm going full. Okay, because I didn't do this, vegan bread. This bread looked like it was dipped in water and then <laughs> left out to dry in the sun and then stepped on by my dog. Vegan um, cheese, though, I know you you used. You like it. Big vegan cheese guy. Yeah. <laughs> big vegan cheese guy. Okay. That might I be here to that. stay. My what about most, you? What's your most, what's your most outrageous Most outrageous thing? thing is I'm in the airport, right? Trying to get anything vegan while you're <sighs> traveling is fucking impossible. So I found a Greek place, got a Greek salad. And at, at the top, she's like, do you want feta? I wanted feta so damn bad, but I passed on it. And the second thing is like going into Chipotle, being like, so what are my options? And like, we have sofritas. I'm like, well, what is sofritas? And it's tofu. Tofu is not as bad as you would think. No, so the sofritas at Chipotle is really good. It's got a good spice. It just doesn't feel good six hours later. If- yeah, uh, the shits are... I'll tell you, that's <laughs> probably my biggest takeaway. The shits as a vegan, at least when I first gone, is different. It's different. <laughs> and I wouldn't say the transition's been great. <laughs> I think my biggest takeaway is if I ever went full vegan, I would just eat french fries all the time. Would you, or that's, like, that's another thing. You could eat like shit, like dessert, like yeah. certain desserts or stuff Chips. like that. Yeah. Real, real quick question. Yep. The best take or the best thing that's happened since you've gone vegan for this week. Has there been any changes? I feel good, to be yeah. honest. Like I don't I don't mean to be cheesy or like fake about it. Like I actually feel good. My my stomach feels a little tighter. Like I'm a little less lethargic when I wake up. Like I feel good. And just like anything else, you stack them together. I I, I think I worked out more this week than I did any other week just because I'm eating healthy and I feel good. It makes you really contemplate what you're putting in your body and what the output is because you're putting so much effort into it. I definitely lost some weight. The other thing is I've known like, you know, when you like, what's it called? Like vasovascular or something like your veins and stuff. Mm -hmm. I've noticed like as weird as it is, like skin's getting tighter. Like my veins Mm -hmm. are popping a little more. So I, I don't think I'm going to be a vegan for life. I mm-hmm. will tell you after just doing this for a week and talking slutty vegan, I will adjust a little bit. Like I think everything in moderation. I'm not a black and white guy, big gray guy. So I think I will try to just be aware. Like like maybe uh, in moderation, I'll just start eating a little less meat. You? I could be like a Monday to Thursday vegan guy. Yeah. You know, weekends yeah. just ham it up with The little- no eggs thing really throws me off because that takes away a lot of dressings, a lot of mayonnaise, a lot of like... Yeah. So the no eggs throws me off. So, Dairy but, is fucking brutal. Yeah. All right. Enough All right let's get into biz here. Talk let's get into biz here. Biz. What are what, some of your takeaways? What are you thinking? Where are we going yeah. with this? Shoot, brother. Yeah. My, my biggest takeaway is just, honestly, I can't tell our listeners out there how relatable he is to me and, and, and a lot of Canadians who grew up in small town Canada with this dream that starts kind of from, from something and, um, just a lot of similarities in his path and, you know, just seeing his successes. I've been a fan of Barstool, fa- fan of his. I'm from Vancouver, just like him as well, or not him, but he moved there after yeah. um, his playing days. And 
you know, just seeing his rise to fame and how he used to chirp guys on Twitter to really <laughs> parlay into a lot of business success. Like she's just like any other entrepreneur we've had here. Who's just kind of, like you said, people laughed at him and now he's crushing it. So um, that was my big takeaway. I just, he's the funniest guy ever. I just it, think he is. He's so. naturally like there is, you know how some people force being funny. <laughs> he is just funny. I've never seen him have an off moment where he's funny. I've seen him sober. I've seen him high. I've seen him drunk. He's fucking hilarious in every one of those stages. He, he's awesome, and he's and he's going to be a perfect fit for the for the NHL uh, moving forward with their new um, new TV contract that, so that what, they just signed. All right, so you always come on, you ask me about like business stuff, and you ask me mm-hmm. the jargon. There was uh, I saw uh, since we podcast with him a, t- a big TNT deal or something. What is the? Yeah. Do you know the story of the specifics with that? Yeah, yeah. Or so the NHL season starts tomorrow. Everybody, let's my go. Penguin. We're back, baby. My Penguins are taking on the Tampa Lightning uh, in the season opener. But uh, so the NHL used to have all their exclusive TV rights with NBC. And that changed. And ESPN is now the main rights holder to the NHL for the first time since 2004. So it's kind of a big deal. ESPN has hockey now. ESPN has hockey. And ESPN is owned by ABC, who has the Bachelor and everything. I mean, they got it all. Disney. So now they got NHL. Okay. So ESPN has the A package and TNT has the B package. And I don't know how much you or our viewers watch the NBA, but the TNT is known in the NBA for having guys like Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal and some really big personalities in the sport. Yeah. And so TNT now has hired Paul Bissonnette to be on their panel as just this entertaining, fun, knowledgeable, and charismatic guy. So I really think it's going to be a huge deal for the NHL. Wow. And let me tell you this. You know who else the NHL just signed as one of their ambassadors? Let's hear it. Who? TikTok superstar Josh Richards. Get the fuck out of here. Josh Richards is one of the exclusive ambassadors for the NHL. So the NHL is doing their thing right now. I I need a timeout there. Yeah. You're a hockey guy. You've dedicated yeah. your life to hockey. There's a guy yes. like Paul Bissonnette who is funny, who is yeah. hilarious, who's been a pro hockey player. Yeah. Do you, when you see Josh Richards getting a contract like that, does that piss you off at all? Like, does he have any credibility in this sport? He's a Canadian kid who played hockey growing up. So that's not really credibility. So at least he loves the sport. Credibility for me is like, I'm, I, like you said, I've dedicated my life to the game. I want the game grown as much as possible. The I mean, game grown in any regard right. is the best. If it's if it's the next generation, if it's the youth, if it's the female demographic, like whatever it is, I just respect the NHL for not standing this like flag in the ground. We're old, like our, the old man's club. Like we're yeah. not going to do it. Like okay. it's, I respect no, it's, that. It's just like what I think baseball should get a little more flair. I think golf like should be a little more Ryder Cup 24-7. Like, just I think it's good. I think it's good expansion for the um and I love the direction the way the league is going. I like that you said that because and my initial thought would be like, dude, like you have no credibility. These guys are like you. You literally are working mm-hmm. on the sport about 60 hours a week at minimum every week, pretty much since you've been able to fucking walk. And then you got a guy yeah. like Josh Richardson coming in. I'm like, you have no credibility. But I as a player, former player, you almost going pro, all that stuff. Uh, I totally get why you would just say, I don't care who you put in there. As long as more eyeballs are on the sport, it's a win. I also know that you're in the industry where it's like, hey, he has 100 million followers off his platforms, that's credibility and enough, right? hundred You don't have to put the puck in the back of the net to get credibility on the business side of things. So, and the one thing too, which is interesting is while people have followers, the one thing people have no idea about is impressions. Mm. So if you look at like actual impressions, so I only have like, you know, 875 followers on Instagram, right? Not like 875,000, but I will say if I go to my insights, 
I bet you, if I'm doing it real quickly, I bet you the impressions I made over the last like week or so were probably over 10 million. So that means like 10 million eyeballs probably mm-hmm. at some point touched my Instagram. So Crazy. if you look at what Josh Richardson is probably seeing, like his impressions, Richards, Richards sorry, Josh Richards is probably saying, <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan. So <laughs> creating a hundred billion, you know, like a, yeah. a billion views a week, I bet. Yeah, it's crazy. So to kind of tie a bow on the um, TV deals to talking about that. So the NHL is in a good place. Seven year deal. They're getting 625 million a year over ESPN and TNT. I'm just going to do a little comparison for you here because I'm a sports guy. Yeah. Do you know, can you guess if the NHL is getting $625 million a year in the TV revenue from their, from their networks, how much do you think the NFL is getting? It's got to be four times. They're getting close to $10 billion a year. What? Really quickly, NBC gives $2 billion a year just for Sunday night football rights. Fox gives $2.2 billion a year just for the NFC rights. ESPN gives $2.7 billion just for Monday night football. And CBS gives $2.1 billion for their longest lasting partner. Each of those networks gets three Super Bowls in the next 12 years. $10 billion a year to the NFL from TV contracts. It's only 17 weeks long, plus playoffs. And... All that money gets distributed evenly in revenue sharing towards the teams in the league. And that, folks, is why the NFL could never sell a ticket for the next 10 years and every team would still make money, money, money. Never money. So when you think, sell a ticket and still be in the game. Exactly. So NFL doesn't rely on gate revenue. NHL and NBA does. MLB does. Eight home games compared to 41 and 81 in baseball and basketball and hockey. Crazy. It's a crazy sport. I would love to get into a dynamics of sports economics one day, but yeah. just TV makes the world go around. You see it. That's why you're famous. That's why these leagues are able to, you know, to function. It's crazy. It's a crazy world to think you wouldn't have to sell a ticket only 17 weeks, but it goes back to our original point. Richard's. That's why you get them up there, right? Because all it comes down to at the end of the day is marketing. That goes for anyone listening to marketing yourself. Look at the difference in those sports and the dollars behind it. Um, the other thing that's crazy, and I know we're wrapping up here, David, is yeah. just the Pink Whitney. 807,000 cases. That's about 10 million bottles of fucking Pink Whitney this guy has sold. Anyone out there, brand yourself and the business will come. Any thoughts on the Pink Whitney? Yeah, I mean, you just talked about impressions. It's impressions on your social. This is impressions of people, humans going out and buying goods because of a person, yeah. because of because of marketing, and it's it's that. And you touched on it in the in the episode five to six hundred thousand downloads on their pod. Crazy. They crank out three and a half hour podcasts. People are listening and consuming Who listens these. Full- to that? That's one thing we've been working on. Like, how do we keep this under yeah. an hour? Because people don't have time. How do you listen to four hour podcasts on hockey? It's crazy. I mean, they those guys just go on. Wit talks about golf and they talk shoot stories. And it's, I mean, as a hockey guy, I love it. But all right, they're I got killing it. it. Their impressions are great. But I got one thing for you to wrap it up. Okay, Biz Nasty, you were awesome. Wish I was on the on the pod. We're transitioning. I got a question to ask you. I was watching the finale of Bachelor in Paradise. Okay, Bring and I saw our first ever guest. Dean Unglert on the TV <laughs> with Caitlin. And I texted you. And what did I say, Jason? You said, how much do you think they're getting paid to be on there right now? Right? I said exactly that. We know what they offered him for his two seasons and his episode by episode. I got my guy, Dean and Caitlin. They're reading off a script. They got the earpiece in there. I know that's what they're doing. <laughs> they're a success story. What do you think that they're getting paid for their finale appearance? What do you think? And I'll tell you what I think. Give me your stab. Um, I'm thinking to fly them down there one episode finale. I'm thinking 10 grand. 
is a guy who has you know had the opportunity to be on obviously my season. I did the premiere and finale mm-hmm. for Colton season. I was on the greatest seasons with Caitlin. I was asked to go on Paradise. We did listen to your heart. Had a cameo on Dancing with the Stars. Had a cameo on season seventeen, I believe it was, with Katie Thurston. Did the Mentel all. From my experience, I could tell you there's no way they got 10 grand for a quick cameo like oh. that. Yeah, no way. I'd be very surprised if it was more than uh, three a piece. That's my guess. 3K okay. each max. Well, trust the expert here. I'll be the That's hockey expert guess. in this recap. <laughs> you be the bachelor uh, appearance fee expert. So I love uh, it. Another great episode, though. Another great episode. This was awesome. David, thank you so much for coming on and giving me your take, all things hockey. Uh, we are trying to hit every industry. In, in the industry in hockey and barstool sports. Apparently, it is going to continue to be one of those, especially with the dollars and cents behind it. Guys, please, please, if you haven't, give us a five-star review. Please subscribe to our pod. We need you guys. We need you. We love you guys. We appreciate it. All the feedback is being listened to. We have an intern who is reading every single review. So please give it to us. Give us five stars and be ready next week, next Monday, for another episode of Trading secrets one you can't afford to miss.